Hi, I'm Maya Jackson. Hi, I'm Lauren Park. And we are Fire and Ice. And you're listening to Left Coast Pirate. West of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California. He is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. And Mike, I don't know what happened. I didn't see the bye week on this year's schedule. Tom, I'm I'm like you. I'm I'm just confused and totally off my game at this point. I'm supposed to have emotions at the top of the show based on the results of the game this week. I, I don't know what to do. Am I supposed to be like even keel because nothing happened? But, but here we are again. Should we start calling it the 2020 COVID-19 hangover? Tom, there was only supposed to be one game on the schedule for us to recap. We went behind enemy lines with Adam Baum earlier in this week, and I was pumped up for the rematch of the best performance earlier in the season. You know, And, and then the pause button is hit again. And thankfully, not directly related to Seton Hall and their men's basketball program this time around but yet another game postponed due to a team having to shut things down. So I think it's only appropriate that we start this week's episode going right into pandemic pandemonium. Mike, I think I'm rubbing off on you. You almost sound positive. I for sure thought you were going to come out here and be, woe is me, woe I didn't lose. I, they, they, they didn't lose, did they? Here in you. I love it. So yes, this week on the podcast, we're going to talk about the pandemic pandemonia. We're going to go into your favorite thing, Mike, breaking down the postseason positioning and taking inventory of what's been accomplished so far this season. We're going to go behind enemy lines with Philadelphia Inquirer reporter Joe Giuliano to preview the upcoming Villanova Wildcats game. And then we're going to take a quick look at the following game in Hinkle Fieldhouse against Butler. All right. So, I mean, we already mentioned pause number two for Xavier, therefore postponing the Seton Hall game this past Saturday. Uh, And that gives Xavier another two games on their schedule that are now postponed. You had Villanova had to extend their pause, and we're going to talk more in detail with Joe Giuliano about that and how that's impacted their program, but that pushed back their game at UConn, making the Seton Hall matchup the first one on their schedule in 27 days, Tom. And then Georgetown, of course, also had to pause, causing three more additional postponements on their schedule. It's happening all over the country. You know, I, I decided to go back and look uh, the ESPN app and just kind of casually count the number of games that were either canceled or postponed across the entire country. Now, don't get me wrong. There are tons of games being played and I know we should be thankful and grateful as you remind me after every episode, 
But Tom, there were another 64 games that were taken off the schedule this week. I mean, aren't you getting frustrated yet by all the starting and stopping? You know, I don't know if frustrated is the right word. I think more disappointed than frustrated. You know, I'll say this. You always talk about your brother and I always talk about my kids. We got to almost stop doing this all. But one of the things at the beginning of this situation I told my kids is stay mentally tough. Don't let things get you down. It'll just ruin you for the rest of the day. So disappointed, yes, not necessarily frustrated. The way I look at it, Mike, anything we get this year is cream. I mean, with everything else going on in the world, all the bad things happening, this is really a first world problem that we had to postpone a game again. But what I found humorous were the DMs and the messages on Twitter, on the, on the Rivals board and other places that were kind of echoing, but almost with this level of desperation because these messages were coming up with solutions for things that weren't even problems. I mean, people were talking about getting that Rutgers game on the schedule, move up Providence, get them into that empty spot. And all this stuff, it just makes me kind of laugh to myself. Let's start off with that Rutgers idea. Why would Coach Peichel even want to schedule that game at this point in their season? They're hurt. They're losing. The last thing they would want is to come in and play a rivalry game at this point because that could really sink their season quickly. The Big Ten is a tough conference this year. You take another L and you play the rest of that season, bye-bye Rutgers postseason chances. I'll tell you that much. Let's move on to the Providence one. Why are you going to move the Providence game? For one, you have no idea what Providence's schedule is looking like right now. But again, why would we want to do any of this? Why would we want to get three road games in a row here? Why would we want to then lose our focus over our main goal, which should be, at this point, beating Nova? We're going to Philadelphia to play Nova. At the end of the season, there's going to be two more bye weeks. The Big East did a really good job of making sure the schedule worked out. So it had a two-week block of no games at the end of February, right before the Big East tournament, to take all those postponements and reschedule them. And to be honest with you, Mike, I don't know that the Xavier game even gets rescheduled. Why would you have a Midwest team coming out to the East Coast just to make up this game. Unless it's going to count for that first place finish, which I don't think it's going to, it's kind of an irrelevant game in my opinion. Well, you you got to see what else is on the schedule in terms of what the Musketeers have. If the Musketeers have a couple other postponements or they have some other East Coast games that could align with the rescheduling, then maybe they make a, a trip out and they make a little collective stop of two or three games. I, I haven't did a dive into Xavier's schedule, so I really can't comment on that. But otherwise, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I completely agree with everything you said. <laughs> I, I could have, couldn't have written it any better myself. Hold on. I got to mark this on my calendar. Mike is agreeing with me. Well, I mean, there was a reason why Stu Jackson put this two-week gap between the end of the regular Big East season and the start of the Big East tournament. It was a contingency period, you know, and as you mentioned, Seton Hall has two other bye weeks on their schedule still to come. So why do you have to kind of force a, you know, square peg into a round hole and put yourself at a competitive disadvantage? You got a number three ranked matchup on the road where 
Villanova is really going to be shorthanded and there's an opportunity to take advantage of putting a big W on the board. And I'm going to go travel on the road in 24 hours or less notice to go play Providence, which is another important game on our schedule to kind of make up for the loss back at the rock. None of it made sense. I think people were just kind of putting up ideas for article fodder or to just spark conversations because we're bored. There's no games this week. They don't know what to do with themselves. Just like where you're going, what are we going to talk about this week? So here's, here's my final response on pandemic pandemonium for this week. I feel bad for DePaul. I feel bad for DePaul. They've only played six games, you know, and this last game that got postponed is not even their fault. You know, like they got impacted by Georgetown. This is the third time that they were about to go travel on the road, either had their bags packed or they were on their way to the city of their opponent and not due to their fault. The other team had issues with the virus and had to postpone the game. These kids got to be going nuts at this point. I don't even know if they're going to make it to 13. I don't. A couple more stops here or there, or if they have to pause, they're not making the 13 cutoff. I mean, I don't know if, DePaul was making the NCAA tournament anyway, but that's neither here nor there. We thought 13. Oh, what a, what a stupid number that is. Everyone's going to be able to play 13 if they want to. And that might not be the case. You know, it's kind of amazing what this virus has done. In normal seasons, I wouldn't feel any hint of sorrow for any of these teams. I feel bad. Like you mentioned, DePaul, six games on the season. Nova, they've only played three Big East teams. That's, you know, I feel bad for these kids. These kids are out there trying to do their best. They're And they ended up being in quarantine. Their, their mental health's in question. Their physical health's in question. Uh, you know, it, it, it's sad. It really is. But, but I am going to get on my soapbox for a second. I have one thing that I want to kind of take out uh, of this kind of concept now as we talk about pandemic pandemonium week after week. I think we need to stop with the excuses relative to all the pausing, right? Oh, our team paused. So the next four games really don't count. We got to get our legs under each other or we have to get our legs back underneath ourselves again. And, oh, maybe the committee might not look at the, the, the non-conference this year because we were coming out of a pause. All these built-in excuses, you're watching teams handle it differently, you know, up and down the schedule. Some are doing well, some are not. But it feels like everybody is being impacted by a pause. And I think we're going to have to throw that out the window. I don't know how the committee is truly going to evaluate all this, but that excuse is just going to have to be tossed aside. And your body of work is going to be your body of work because it's chaos for everyone. But I I got one more. I I, I know I said that was going to be my last point, but I'm going to throw one more thing in here because I read this this morning when I woke up. It was an interesting quote. We talk about it kind of off the record. We've said it a couple times on the podcast where we kind of threw it out there, but it hasn't been blatantly thrown in the faces of the sports world by a prominent coach yet. And on the women's side of the game, the other night, Kim Mulkey, head coach for the the Baylor Bears women's basketball program, just came out of a COVID uh, recovery period for herself. And she was kind of asked about, if there was going to be concern of the season being completed amid the pandemic. And she took issue. And she's the first person to really come out and be as blunt with the words that she decided to use than anybody else I've read about. You know, I know coach K basically said, Hey, we got to shut it down. It's all about the safety. But what she said, this cut deep. You ready for this, Tom? 
The answer to her question was the following. The answer is this. The season will continue on. It's called the almighty dollar. The NCAA has to have the almighty dollar from the men's tournament. The almighty dollar is more important than the health of me, the players, or anyone else. Damn. Like in your face, I'm not kind of, you know, playing any more games. She even said, if, if you got an issue with what I said and you want to know about the virus, come talk to me. I'll tell you, it's real. Without furthering this into a debate or a discussion on the NCAA, Coach Mulkey is simply vocalizing the same point I've been talking about for years. The NCAA is an amoral organization. It cares nothing about its players. It cares about one thing, and that's money. So let's just leave it at that, move on. But I know you wanted to take a look, as we have time this week, at how the schedule has gone so far. During last week's episode, I told you we were in a good spot in 6-2 and two, uh, during conference play and that I would have gladly signed up for that. We both thought that we were going to come up with a win. We were going to be 7-2, going into Nova, being excited about that. But then during the week, in your usual woe is me, the sky is falling mentality, you started complaining to me about the breakdown of that 6-2. and two. Well, well, yeah, because I start seeing all these early bracketology publications and it just starts to drive me nuts. I mean, are they fun? Yes. Do they spark debate? Yes. Do they mean a damn thing at this point? Hell no, Tom. Come on. I mean, don't get me wrong. They are right where they are supposed to be. Tied for third place in the conference standings and a position to do some damage. I would have liked to see maybe four and two in the non-conference play still kind of rubbed wrong by the, the, the loss to Rhode Island thought they could have stole one against under underman Louisville team coming out of the gate, even though we had that pause, but I'll, I'll push that aside. Let's look at those eight games that they have played so far. They lost the only two games versus teams that were predicted to be in the top five along with them. They had nice road wins versus Xavier and Marquette. Not going to take anything away from them. Those are going to be two quad one victories uh, when we look at them by the end of the season. They're, they're in that position now, and I, I don't see either one of those teams trending out of the net top 75. And then they took care of business versus the bottom-feeding teams of the conference. I mean, what do you like about their current NCAA tournament resume as it currently stands? Mike, I think we may have to make a retraction here. Earlier in the podcast, you asked me if I was frustrated. There is only one thing that has gotten me frustrated about COVID in relation to college basketball. We end up with basically having a bye week, and that gave you an opportunity to break out the calculator and look at all the next level metrics way too early. Don't tell me you didn't like it, Mike. I know you. You're a numbers guy and you love this stuff. I'd much prefer to get to the point of the season where we've played everybody in conference once so we get a better and honest idea of, of how we played against everybody and where we stack up, and then we could do this. But even with this crazy schedule, we'd probably have to get three-quarters of the way done before we got to the first game against UConn this year. But since it is what it is, I'll play along, Mike. I'm going to tell you one universal fact. You can only beat the team that is scheduled. We've had eight games. 
We're six and two. And the losses have come against what was predicted to be the top end of the conference. You know, Providence is struggling a little bit so far this season, but probably by the end of the year, they'll be right where we thought they were going to be. Forgetting how we lost to Creighton for a minute, there is no shame in these two losses. And just to impress you a little bit, Mike, I'm oh, going to go You're, you're, you're going to impress me? You're, 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 you're going to dive into the numbers? I'm going to go into the numbers. I looked this up this morning, and this was correct as of 9 a.m. this morning, Pacific Standard Time. Seton Hall has the following quadrants breakdowns. They are three and four in quadrant one. Surprisingly, no games in the quadrant two. They're three and one in the quad three, and they're three and oh in the quad four. No one else in college basketball, Mike, has more than four quad one victories. So we've done relatively well in that point. And I'm going to point something out to you. In your in your love of all things metrics, Maryland, who is ranked way ahead of us in the net, is two and five and oh and one in the quad one and two. Uh, rankings respectively again i'd love to see us play everybody once to get a real good feeling for how things are going but we're in a good spot right now we have done what we were supposed to do and maybe with a better whistle at the end of providence when they could have called both of those walks maybe we leave that game with a win as well I'm at a loss for words. You did your homework. You did the numbers. I, this is impressive. I got some other numbers for you. Seton Hall currently, Ken Palm, 44. Net metrics, 52. Nothing wrong with either one of those numbers, but those numbers are kind of in the mix or on the fringe for being in or out of the dance, right? That's a bubble type number. So the next six games are going to be very telling. There are great opportunities up and down that schedule for them to boost their resume and remain in the top four within the conference, maybe even differentiate themselves. I, I don't think that's going to happen, but they can solidify themselves in that top four, put a couple more big wins on the resume. If I'm not mistaken of the upcoming six games, four on the road. So you're talking about opportunities for quad one wins all, all along the resume there. Let's do this. Let's take a quick snapshot of those six games. Let's kind of not dive too deep. Just give me your gut because I'm concerned that potentially this stretch of games could get a little bit dicey. It, it could get ugly. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be glass half empty. I'm just going to ask you how many times are we going to be favored on paper as we look at these matchups? Let's take the first one at Nova. I know they are going to have some major issues coming out of the pause. They, we're going to talk with Joe Giuliano further and talk about their shorthanded capabilities based on, uh, you know, testing and guys coming off injury. But going into that matchup, you're telling me win or loss for Seton Hall here? I'll tell you this. I think it's a pick em at this point. You're talking about a game against a team that hasn't played in a month. If there's any time that it's going to be a pick em game against Nova – it's going to be this one. Okay, but you're not going to be shocked if they lose to the number three ranked no, team in the no, country on the road. No, I wouldn't be shocked if they okay. lost in Philadelphia. I've seen 26 out of 27 years of that happen, so okay. Okay, that, that's all I'm getting at. And then the one game that we had earmarked on the schedule is probably the easiest opportunity to come away with a victory, and you astutely pointed out last week, there's nothing easy about going into Hinkle and coming out with a win, especially any game in the Big East, right, is going to play Butler in that rematch. 
And that first time that we played Butler, which was a very tight game down the stretch, they didn't have Aaron Thompson. And it took him a couple games to kind of get back in the flow, but he was doing a lot of positive things in that game against Creighton. Now I understand that Creighton didn't have Marcus Zegarowski uh, in their loss to Butler in overtime over the weekend, but didn't Creighton just dismantle St. John's without Zegarowski? So now you got Butler building some confidence. You know, Miles Tate hit a big shot for them. So their freshman continues to build, you know, more and more positives around his game. I think he had 15 points and 10 rebounds from their point guard spot. He hits the, the big shot to ice it down the stretch in overtime. I don't see how you go into Butler and automatically chalk that up as a victory. So I'll ask you again, could you see us losing or would you not be shocked if they lost that game to Butler? It would not be shocking if Butler came out with a victory with Aaron Thompson back. No. Okay. So two straight row games. You have to regroup this pot, you know, possibly we win both, but they could easily lose both. And then they come home and they play Creighton. Yes. It's very hard to beat a team twice. You know, there's, there's going to be chum in the water. Our guys are going to want their revenge. But this wasn't like this was a close loss. They got dismantled by McDermott and their offensive system. And it showed a lot of the warts on our defense. So to close that gap from where it was that first game to this rematch, are you telling me you're confident you want to mark this one as a win on the schedule? Well, without beating the dead horse, Mike, we are, yes, we are running through a six-game run here against the better teams in the conference. And normally, All right, okay. historically, in the Big East, you're going to have runs like this where none of the next set of games will technically surprise me if we lose. So, no, okay, so, I mean, right, so, no, I, so I would not be surprised if Creighton came in and beat us, I would be surprised if Creighton came in and beat the doors off of us again, but I would not be surprised if a if a team of Creighton's caliber beat us. No. You told me in the last time that a two-point loss and a 36-point loss are still a loss on the schedule at the end of the day. So if Creighton comes in and squeaks one out, it's still a loss. And they, I don't want to belabor the points. They okay. showed that last year. They, they took a five-point win in the rock and then they blew the doors off of us in Omaha. So, and like I said, I won't belabor this too much. Then they play home against Nova. That is two games in the same week. And then they go on the road back to back games against Providence and Yukon. And, and those are the kind of teams that probably match up with us uh, in comparison to where we kind of fit in the standings. Those are going to be really, really interesting games on the schedule, but you would normally lean to giving the home team the edge. That's six games where they could you know, they could go three and three. They could they could surprise us and go four and two. But I would not be shocked if it was a one and five or God forbid an oh and six. So now all of a sudden you take me this, you take this six and two that you felt so good about. I love the position we're in. And I said, Tom, what, what if we what if we had a one and five or a two and four? How are you gonna feel then? Oh, it, it'll make for some great podcast fodder. But I, I would sign up for a three and three immediately. If, oh heck yeah, heck yeah! If we go one and five or zero oh and six, get those pitchforks out and get the torches lit because there's going to be we're coming down South Orange Avenue with them. Well, no, I thought. See, that's not fair. You know, this it's is a very always fair, Mike. We're supposed to be we're supposed to be this great program coming down the stretch. You've got to figure out how to win games. I don't care if it's a tough stretch or not. You've got to win games. That's the my, bottom line. My, my point was going to be, you're not, 
in the NCAA tournament on January 15th, unless you're like undefeated and top 10 in the country, then you can pretty much say with confidence, yeah, we're going to be in the dance this year. But when you're on the fringe and you've had the kind of schedule that we've had, all I was trying to say is, yes, we put ourselves in the position to be where we needed to be. This is nothing to kind of pound your chest about. You go through these six games and if you make hay, like you said, do what you got to do. Be a big time program. Find a way to get these wins. Take advantage of your opportunities. Yeah, I'll take a three and three. And if you come out on the on the right side of this stretch and you still have a plus four in the wing column during conference play, and I'm still positioned three or four in the standings, yeah, I'll, I'll get excited because then you take care of business down the stretch against the weaker opponents and assume that there's no pauses and we play all the games. Yeah, I, I'll put this team in the tournament, but I'm not ready to kind of stamp that ticket with confidence where a lot of other people are like, well, well, Joe Lenardi's got us as an eight, right? We, 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 should, we should celebrate six. Forget about five. We, we're going we're gonna to call it six straight trips to the dance because Joe Lenardi's got us in on January 15th. I'm not okay with that. And that, that's my frustration with kind of breaking down this schedule. Just a lot of work to do still. That's all I'm trying to say here. A lot of work to do. I for sure thought you were going to like the pitchforks and torches comment, Mike. I mean, you know, you know how fans go. I mean, look at Rutgers right now and – you know, let's. Uh, we don't need to go into it. Oh, we can pick on Rutgers. Let's pick on Rutgers. I've started seeing tweets for Peichel's head. We're talking about a team that has had no recent success. Steve Peichel has brought them up, and now because they're going through a bad stretch of games, which probably includes a little bit of injury, they're ready to run them out of town. Well, because because they were six and zero oh, and used to go back to these early bracketology projections and Rutgers was a two seed. You run them out of town, Rutgers fans. Look how fast you're going to go reverting back to the old fashioned Rutgers. You run them out of town. I'm just saying, I remember last year when Seton Hall was on the cusp of breaking into the top 10, right? And then we missed out on that opportunity. You can go back to the Delgado Carrington Desi team and they had a chance to break into the top 10 and they lost that game at Rutgers. And you were just like, man, it's so hard to kind of take that next leap. You make one misstep and it just starts spiraling in the other direction. And Rutgers was right there on the cusp of being in the top 10. And before you blink, five out of six in the loss column. Now, granted, they've lost to a lot of good teams, but that's kind of what I'm getting at. You got to play the difficult games on your schedule, you can't avoid them. Here's the stretch for Seton Hall. So before we start beating down on our friends, you know, down the down the banks over there in Piscataway, let's take care of business before we get a little egg on our face and have the same kind of stretch. Well, regardless of how difficult this upcoming stretch is going to be, Mike, it all starts on Tuesday by traveling to number three Villanova in Philly. So for now, let's take one Game at a time. And let's talk to our friend from the Philadelphia Inquirer, Joe Giuliano, and go behind enemy lines. Now that's a transition, Tom. Good job. I like that. I've been working on it. I had a lot of time this week. He is a sports writer and covers the Villanova Wildcats for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Please welcome back to Left Coast Pirates Live, Joe Giuliano. Joe, how are you today? Hey, doing great, Tom. Mike, good to be with you guys again. Nah, Joe, thanks for joining the show. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Okay, so I feel like we've been starting off every episode this way this year, but the pandemic, COVID-19, has changed the landscape of life and college basketball as we normally know it. So we got to be respectful here. How are you and your family doing relative to health and everything surrounding in the 
in this virus driven world we live in? Well, it's nice of you to ask. We're doing very well, thanks. Um, we've both been managed to stay employed during this whole time. So uh, we're very grateful for that. And uh, I hope you and your families are doing the same. We are, we are, I'm busy working out of the garage. And then I have a lucky office location where it's like me and only one other person. So I've been pretty blessed as well. No complaints here. I need to unfortunately stay on the same subject matter here sure. because leading up to the game with Seton Hall, all the relevant headlines around Villanova seem to be revolving around the impact of the virus. I mean, Villanova had to pause just like Seton Hall did prior to the start of the season. They paused again on January 4th when Jay Wright and another staff member tested positive. And now that the team is back out of quarantine, it's not as simple as kind of lacing them up again for the next game. Coach Wright recently revealed that Caleb Daniels and Jermaine Samuels were two players who tested positive for the coronavirus in the latest shutdown. You know, which means that they are not permitted to start practicing or otherwise start back up again until the testing for the myocarditis is done. So assuming that test result is clear or clears them for action, what is the likelihood we're going to see them play in this game? I, I don't think there's much of a likelihood we'll see them play at all. Um, they, they can't practice. And uh, they, uh, you know, being that the fact that they've had the COVID, I don't really know if they've been able to, Jay's been trying to get guys into the gym for one, uh, one at a time, once a day to work on their conditioning. And, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a finite time, like a half hour, 45 minutes. I really don't know how long it is exactly. But uh, I don't think uh, Caleb or Jermaine have had a chance to do that. So I think it's not very likely that we get to see him. Plus, Caleb has an injury. They've had one practice since Christmas. That was January 3rd, two weeks ago. And um, uh, Daniels uh, hurt his calf. So, um, and, and Eric Dixon, their backup center, hurt his Achilles. So um, they, they could have a real skeleton crew uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think you'll say uh, Caleb or Jermaine at all. And, and I guess they'll be pointed to Villanova's next game, which will be the following Saturday uh, against Providence at home. Well, regardless of who is going to be playing, there's still going to be a lot of unanswered questions coming into this game. I mean, there's a gap of about 27 days between games when Villanova played and when they come up against Seton Hall this Tuesday. So in hindsight, was it a smart move to voluntarily cancel the game with St. John's on the 30th? Well, that's a good point now that you mention it. Um, Villanova played nine games in the first 29 days and will play their 10th game 27 days later, 27 days after the ninth game, as you mentioned. The game against St. John's, Jay is really, really concerned about his kids' mental health, and he really felt like they needed a break. Now, they played on December 16th, home against Butler. They were supposed to play December 19th at, against Virginia at the Garden. Virginia had COVID problems. They couldn't play that game. So they had a week off between Butler and and Marquette, December 23rd, the most recent game they played. And then they, they figured after the game, they said, look, our guys are worn out. They're stressed out. And, and this is in addition to the fact that Jay allowed parents and family members to visit their uh, kids the 24th and 25th on campus in, in a separate location where everybody was isolated, which was you know the, a nice thing to do, I think, just to help their mental health. But then he said, well, our guys are all stressed out. We're going to call St. John's and see if they'll cancel the December 30th game. And if they don't, we'll take the forfeit. You know, I just want our kids to be just mentally healthy and ready and ready to go after the first of the year. And I mean, obviously, who knew 
Mike, I want to I want to mention you skipped a quarantine. The first <laughs> quarantine was in September during training camp. The second quarantine was when Jay tested positive on December 26th, plus a staff member. So they went their their days. The team was allowed to practice again on January 3rd. They had one practice. On January 4th, they were ready to begin practice, but first they had to go over the test results, and boom, two players tested positive. That's what I thought. So okay, that, that, that makes was, sense. So that's where we stand now. That's uh, the, the first practice was Thursday uh, after that happened. And now we have um, the myocarditis testing, cardiac testing uh, Monday. And then we'll see what happens after scene hall. I, like I said, I don't really think that they're going to be available for scene hall. But as you uh, alluded to, Tom, yeah, it doesn't look like a good idea that they gave up that one game. But the thing is, they, they, they seem to be doing okay. And then now... After the St. John's game, we ended up with four postponements, uh, and all four have to be rescheduled at Xavier, at DePaul, at UConn, Marquette at home. Where they're going to squeeze those four games in, I have no idea. I do know that after the Providence game on Saturday, the 20, 25th, I'm losing track of time here, they have a whole week off. Now, whether the Big East slots in a couple of games there, I, I don't know, but you would think that's logical. But, of course, the question is, Xavier – DePaul, UConn, or Marquette have to have an open date that week too. So God knows what's going to, you know, God knows if they'll get a game in, an extra game in next week. Now, Joe, you mentioned mental health, and we've kind of been concerned and, and respectful about that portion of this uh, virus as well. How have the guys on the team been handling each one of these pauses? I mean, like the first one you go through has got to been like, okay, we're going to hunker down, but it's got to start negatively affecting them as it keeps going no yeah oh, no, no question and no question about it at all in fact that's that's what jay felt badly about between the second and third quarantine after his quarantine ended was about to end villanova moved out of hotel rooms went back into their campus residences spent one day there had to had to evacuate again to go back to the hotels and and isolate so yeah th those were the things that he really was very very concerned about he, he, he is so in love with this team because of, of how they're taking it, how their spirit is, at least in front of him. I, I don't know what's said behind closed doors when each kid is by himself, like wondering if this is all worth it. But Jay has been very clear with his players. Hey, if you want to opt out, if, if this is getting to be too much for you, you can leave. You have our blessing. We're, we're fine with it. We don't want to have any problems. But he said they came out for practice on Thursday and, and looked great. He said they were they were excited, enthusiastic to be back. And um, he says he, he's just so admires the resiliency they have shown through this whole chapter in their in the season with with the pandemic and all. All right, Joe, one more question regarding schedules and postponements. There's a rumor that Villanova and some other schools, such as DePaul, might not even make it to an 18-game conference schedule at this point. You know, and the idea is becoming more of a reality as we're heading towards the back half of January, and they've only played three conference games. So what's the likelihood that some teams might make it to 20 and others others don't? Well, I, I did a story on the schedule uh, last week uh, where I interviewed Stu Jackson, uh, the associate commissioner of the Big East, who's in charge of the men's basketball schedule. And he said, well, as of that day, which was Monday of last week, which was the uh, 11th, he had this whole new um, master sheet with 20 games, everybody playing 20 games. Now, if anybody else has a pause, it blows up. But he, he thought that Villanova could possibly get to, to 20, but he understands and he knows the athletic directors of all the teams understand that not everybody's going to be able to play 20. Um, 
Some will play 18, some will play 17. I don't know how the other coaches are going to feel about it. It seems like the Big East has a really good group of coaches who are very you know, cognizant of, of what the other guy is going through. I mean, there's uh, Zoom calls apparently between the athletic directors every day. Um, so I don't know if this is going to be a problem uh, as of now. Um, I mean, if Villanova gets half of their rescheduled games in, they'll have 18 on the slate, which is going to have to do, I guess. Meanwhile, Seton Hall, I noticed they have the, they've played the most games in, in the Big East. Don't and jinx overall. us, Joe. Do not jinx us. Here. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> but I think it's remarkable that a team, and, and like you said, Seton Hall did have its, its, its pause, and they still managed to get their games in. And, and that's a credit to Kevin and, and, and all the guys that are uh, behind the scenes uh, at Seton Hall. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't really think anybody, everybody's going to get 20 in, and uh, hopefully they can get as many in as they can uh, before the tournament. See, I could see some of the teams being upset if they don't get a chance to play Villanova because that's one of the more key teams that's going to help another program pad their resume as they're coming down the stretch. So, you know, Villanova's reputation, rankings, uh, metrics are going to put them in fine position for the NCAA tournament. But, you know, if you're Seton Hall and you need that more key win, and there's another pause where you don't play Villanova that second time. Well, you might be kind of pushing for that game to happen down the stretch. Of course. Yes. It might not, it might not take place. Right. So Joe, let's move on to the team itself. And, you know, we've been talking about all this bad news with the virus and unfortunately Villanova is looking like it's following in and having its own adversity with injuries here. We already talked about Caleb Daniels, uh, who's let red shirt junior transfer from Tulane. He started all nine games that they played he was averaging almost 13 points a game. How big of a loss would this be for the Wildcats, and who would backfill for him in the starting lineup? Well, it's a matter of who's available for the game Tuesday, pretty much. Um, <laughs> you know, if uh, Caleb and Jermaine are in testing, so you lose those two guys. Derek Dixon has an Achilles and probably could go, but he's, he won't play a lot of minutes. Uh, Brian Antoine, remember him? <laughs> he, he has not played a game since... Uh, hurting, re-injuring his surgically repaired shoulder. When the quarantine happened in, in September, they were out three weeks and then they practiced. And at that first practice, they lost Antoine and Gillespie with injuries. Now Gillespie recovered. I, I, I don't remember if he was a hamstring or, or a calf, but he came back in a week. But uh, Antoine has not been able, had not been able to practice. Now he practiced the week between the Butler and the Marquette games. So he, he was on schedule to return in a, in, a, in a couple of weeks, like maybe the January 2nd game against Xavier that was postponed. But now he is good enough to suit up and be on the bench for Tuesday's game. But Jay says how much he'll play. He doesn't know if the condition, if he'll be have that conditioning where he could probably play, you know, a good 15, 20 minute stint in the game. So you have uh, Daniels, Samuels, Dixon is a possibility. Antoine will probably play, but you don't really know how much he'll be able to give them. Now, Jay said they have to have a certain number of scholarship players available for the game. I, I assume they will have the number. I don't know what the number is. If it's eight, <laughs> uh, seven, I, I honestly don't know. Uh, I'd be happy with two. If you guys have two, two scholarship <laughs> players ready for the game, I'm more than happy to continue on with the game. Well, you know, they, they have some guys that are going to get some time that uh, don't usually get time, like Chris Archidiakono, who's Ryan's little brother, who has only seen, like, maybe action in the last two minutes of games that are out of sight. So, and then like you have the walk-ons, um, but they have like 11 scholarship guys and four of them possibly may not play. So 
How about a guy like uh, Demir Cosby Roundtree? I mean, six yeah, nine he's, forward, he's... still not coming back from the the injury. Yeah, that he, has. he. I'm. I'm. We. Have, in fact, I didn't even ask about him at the last call, and I should have because he's a Philly guy. But uh, yeah, he doesn't look like he's going to play. He's been having all kinds of trouble with his with shin problems, and uh, they had another surgery in the off season, and uh, it just hasn't worked out for him. It's a shame because he's a good guy, and he's still around the team as. As a leader, I mean, he's he's a very strong voice in the locker room. But as for playing, I, I don't, I really don't know if he'll be able to play at all this season. All right, Joe, go out on a limb here. Give me your prediction for the potential starting five that you think takes the floor for the Wildcats. All right, well, we got Gillespie and Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Cole Swider, who has started a number of games, and Justin Moore. So those are four basic starters. Um, Swider has been a sixth man, actually. So he would move into the starting lineup. Gillespie, Robinson Earl, Justin Moore, Cole Swider, no Samuels, no Daniels. So that leaves Brandon Slater, uh, who will probably be the uh, the fifth starter. And then off the bench, you have uh, Chris Arch and uh, hopefully Brian Antoine, <laughs> maybe Eric Dixon. That's your eight right there. I'm happy to hear that uh, Arch's little brother's there. I'm going to have another guy I could dislike for the next four years. This is good news. <laughs> He's a good kid, yeah. I bet. Well, speaking of adding guys to the roster and new storylines, Villanova, I, I thought it was interesting that Trey Patterson announced that he's going to be joining the team for the second semester, right? So here's another top recruit for Jay Wright, 6'8", forward, four-star, Jersey kid, just recently graduated from Rutgers Prep, and he's going to enroll starting in the second semester. So this is now becoming a growing trend with the pandemic this year where guys are kind of just foregoing that last season of their high school ball because it's condensed. They're getting on campus, getting acclimated, getting into the, the familiarity of the system. Due to the lack of bodies available, is there an outside shot that we're seeing going to see a Trey Patterson possibly play uh, second semester back into the, the season? Yeah, perhaps. The second semester starts on the 25th. I don't think he can play till then. So he wouldn't be eligible till the 30th, um, which would be their next game after uh, Providence. Yeah, I, I think anything's possible. Um, Jay is a stickler, though, for guys knowing the system. He's not going to just throw anybody in there, which is why you didn't see Quinterly for a while, which is why you didn't see Antoine for a while. Well, Antoine had the shoulder injury. so But even after he came back, it was kind of like, well, he doesn't really know the, the system. We really should redshirt him, and we're not going to redshirt. Like, if Jay had it over again, there's no question that Brian Antoine would have uh, redshirted uh, last season because here he is now in the middle of his second season, and he's still, you know, kind of not part of the of, of the of the rotation. Well, he now, gets a reprieve though because of the eligibility rules. Yeah, this year. that's so true. The, that, that's the NCAA is allowing him to to play another year, so. Hopefully that will help and hopefully he will stay, but uh, that's a long time. And, and obviously being a five-star kid, you know, I'm sure Brian had uh, visions of, you know, maybe not going his full four years or five years. He, he, Life, I'm sure he, you got to make lemonade out of lemons, right? Yeah. So let's move past all this bad news, negativity, injury reports. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting stuff. really depressed talking to you guys here. I'll tell you. <laughs> it's Nova, so there's still a lot of positives to talk about. Of course. Here we, here we got Villanova, still ranked number three in the AP, listed as number four in the Kempom, number eight in the net metric. They're eight and one overall, three and zero in Biggie's play. Big win so far against Arizona State and Texas, who were both ranked 18th and 17th respectively. One loss on the docket against Virginia Tech up in the Mohegan Sun bubble. And since that Texas win, they had four straight double-digit victories. So 
you'll forgive me if my heart doesn't bleed too much uh, about Nova's struggles here, but <laughs> did that gutty road win give them the confidence they needed at that point in the season to continue on and say, hey, maybe we can make something out of this? Oh, no question. No question. Uh, uh, the, the Texas game was a, a really tough game, and uh, it was their first plane ride, which, uh, you know, had all kinds of anxiety building up in Jay's stomach, uh, making sure that everybody was just, you know, with the program, everybody like stuck close together. And uh, and the fact that they played as well as they did in a very in a, in a tough place. I mean, Jay was like, he looked up after a while and he said, wow, there's fans here. They had like a couple thousand fans <laughs> in the in the Frank Irwin Center at Austin, which is a nice place. And they ended up pulling out the victory over a very good team. I mean, you've seen how Texas has played, uh, you know, since that game. And uh, you're like, wow, that, that was an impressive win. Arizona State, I mean, I saw they lost last night to Oregon State. So I'm thinking, well, maybe that wasn't such a good win. <laughs> but uh but Virginia Tech's played very well. I mean, Jay was a little disappointed in the way they closed that game. And I think that uh, gave him a lot of uh, tools in his teaching arsenal to uh, say, all right, now, when we get up like this, you can't be doing this, 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 and this. And, uh, you know, we always say to Jay, like, uh, well, do you feel like you're winning too much? You feel like a loss and you'll finally get the guy's attention? He says, I would much rather have the guy's attention after a win. He says, not. It, it doesn't help if we lose and I have their attention. They, well, they have my attention after a win, too. What got my attention was, you know, Texas rallies back and ties that game. And of all the stars that they have on the roster, you have Cole Swider with under two minutes to play hitting the the go-ahead three. So just to kind of see guys step up within Jay's system and not be afraid of the moment, especially in a, you know, still hostile road environment. Yeah, that was a pretty big shot for Cole to kind of, you know, cement himself as a contributing factor, you know, in this roster. That's true. Yeah. And Jay doesn't have any problem with anybody shooting at any time. Like he never puts, puts uh, restraints on anybody. I mean, he, he has confidence in, that anybody at any time can knock down a, a shot. And, uh, and he knows, I mean, Swider brings a, a long history of, of great shooting from high school. You know, it's taken him a while to get acclimated to, you know, like being a guy that comes off the bench for a couple minutes and comes back and goes back to the bench and, and now he's playing some uh, kind of stronger minutes at more critical times and is doing the job. And he also is playing passable defense, which wasn't the case last year either. All right, Joe, let's, let's dive some more into the, the roster composition for Villanova. You know, Jay Wright has done a phenomenal job in terms of, you know, the recruiting trails and who he's been able to get to join the program, consistently bringing in four and five star top talent. I mean, currently on the roster, eight, of the players were top 100 recruits and next year they're i believe the the nation's third best recruiting class on the way for 2021 however what makes the engine go for this team is a player that was ranked 200th by 24 7 sports and was only given two stars by espn you know but now in his senior year colin gillespie preseason all big east you know, he's garnering all the attention on the preseason national stage with you know second team recognition of all the talent on this roster, how important is Gillespie in terms of making a Final Four run? Major. There's nobody like him on the team. I mean, there's they, they really don't even have a backup true point guard who can, well, and Colin Gillespie is a true point guard who can score, which, you know, increases his uh, status uh, remarkably. But yeah, he, he is the engine that makes it go. He knows everything that Jay wants to do. He's, uh, I mean, he's like everybody else that has played that position for Jay. Whether you go back to Ryan Archidiakono or Jalen Brunson, I mean, Colin Gillespie is right in that class. Maybe not as talented as Brunson, 
but certainly uh, a, a key figure in all aspects of the team, whether it's running the team, whether it's knocking down the big three-point shot, whether it's playing defense, whether it's taking a charge. He took he took a charge against Kansas last year that was remarkable. I mean, the Kansas guy saw that route to the basket and all he could think of was scoring, and Colin took the charge, and Villanova ended up winning the game. That charge was in the last couple minutes of the game. So I remember that, yep. But I want to I want I want to read the Big East stats. I mean, he's only played three Big East games, and obviously – the stats are a little skewed. Average of 19.3 points, 5.0 assists. He's hitting 59% from three, 15 assists against two turnovers and 13 threes in the three games. Now, you know, that's valuable. Obviously, Hall could come out it's Tuesday night and make, make one out of six from three and force turnovers and things like that. But he, he's just a, a, an indispensable player. And uh, you, you always think about what might happen if, you know, he has to sit out for a couple of games. But... Uh, he has just been truly an amazing player since since getting there, and he has improved every season, which is even more important. You know, outside of Gillespie, who's a senior, you've been getting a lot of contributions from younger guys. And one of the things that has been coming up and becoming a common theme as we speak to other Behind Enemy Lines guests this year is identifying those sophomores who have made big jumps in their game so if we go through the big east you know you're looking at zach fremantle for xavier julian champagne for st john's romeo weens for DePaul. but i don't think there's any secret coming into the season with how uh, talented jeremiah robinson earl and justin moore were going to be for the wildcats oh yeah um well jeremiah got off to like a fantastic start in the non-conference and he's kind of played more of a uh uh, he, he's been, been a little more blending in with the crowd in, in league games to this point. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, been phenomenal and he's, incre- he's improved his shooting from outside, which is big. Um, he is uh, an outstanding defensive player. I, I don't, I don't, I could never understand. I could never imagine a kid coming out last year as a freshman who played defense and knew Jay's defenses as well as Jeremiah Robinson Earl. It, it was incredible. And, and, and his defensive rebounding is, is also very valuable. And this year he has been uh, more uh, lively off the offensive boards as well. So, yeah, he comes in with the whole package. And uh, he did kind of take a, uh, uh, a look at what faced him from the NBA. I mean, he almost came out. In fact, he did come out for about a month or so and then decided after talking with his pe- family and with his, with Jay that, you know, let's, let's try to uh, – well, first of all, let me come back and let's try to win a, a championship and then maybe he'll, he'll go. But I think everybody kind of figured last year that Villanova was right on, on line to, to challenging for a, a national championship. And obviously the rug got pulled off from everybody because of the pandemic. And that Sadiq Bey just thought and thought and thought for as long as he could before deciding, no, I, I really have to take this next step now. And but. If they win a championship, I won't be real happy. Well, he'll be happy for them, but he won't be happy not having been a part of it. But uh, I'm digressing. But like Robinson Earl is like the the real, uh, you know, he, he's a real solid contributor to this team and, and, a, and a really good guy to have paired with Gillespie because you have guys who can shoot it from anywhere. Gillespie can drive to the basket. Robinson Earl can drive to the basket. He can score inside and he gets rebounds and, and, and does the dirty work. Uh, Justin Moore, another freshman that you mentioned from last year, is uh, you know a really deadly three-point shooter. Although his numbers in the first three Big East games weren't uh, great, four for 15, 
but uh, he brings good shooting and, and, and better ball handling. And he's also learning how to rebound a little better. He's, he's averaging five rebounds a game, which is pretty good for a guard. So he, he's another very uh, uh, intricate part of this team. And if you spread those guys around, Gillespie, you got Moore here, you got Daniels over here. I mean, those guys can really shoot the three. And, and even Robinson Earl, you know, he doesn't have to, you know, play in the post all the time. So you can have five guys around the arc, you know, making things crazy for uh, other defenses. So that's uh, that's a good uh, part of the Villanova plan, as, as Jay Wright has shown uh, for many, many years. We knew the talent was there. Has their development and performance to date met or exceeded expectations? I think so, yeah. Um, you know, Daniels obviously sat out last year as a transfer and uh, – when you asked Jay about him, like at the beginning of the season, it was kind of like, well, you know, he's still he's still getting our, our the way we play, and you're like, well, he's been there a year, like, come on, like, but I guess he meant in competition, you know, when when the lights come on, you know, can he still do these things that we've been teaching him about in practice? And all in all, he has been. I think if there's anything with Daniels is that he loves to drive the ball, and defenses know he loves to drive the ball, so they just leave a guy there and he runs over him and. That's pretty much it. I mean, I, he leads the team in turnovers, and I, and I would bet more than half of those turnovers are offensive fouls. Uh, he, he'll learn that, I'm sure. But yeah, the, the development, uh, his development has gone very well. Brandon Slater, you know, he, he was just kind of like the energy guy, the defensive guy, the guy who can get out in the break and dunk. He has shown, you know, a, a nice touch from outside. Uh, Swider, we've already talked about, you know, a guy who who uh, had to improve on the defensive end, and he is. You got all those guys who have, uh, you know, contributed. And Eric Dixon, he's another like great tale of Villanova development. I mean, he sat out last year. He was a little overweight, you know. And Jay just said, "Look, we we don't really need a, a big guy now for this season. We have Robinson Earl, and you know, Cosby Rontree could play back then. So let's just teach him, you know, have him lose weight and teach him the ways of the way we play and uh, have him work. So he's like a true post guy. Uh, you know, he, he is working on a mid-range jumper. It's it's good. He's tried a couple of threes, which isn't so good. But, you know, he's still working on getting uh, being able to shoot from more than 12 feet away from the basket. So, But, yeah, he has come on uh, in, in big uh, leaps and spurts, a strong offensive rebounder. And uh, if he gets healthy in time for the uh, Seton Hall game, you'll, you'll see some uh, – you know, pretty impressive uh, moves on his part. If not, you'll see him again, I'm sure, on the 30th of January up at the Prudential Center. All right, Joe. So let's actually dive into that matchup uh, with Seton Hall a little bit closer. You know, once again, it's a matchup of both teams positioned in the top third of the conference standings. And they're coming off two highly competitive games from last year. One in which you didn't think we were going to win down in Philadelphia, for the record. Um, but then, you know, both teams were able to kind of be successful on the other team's home court. You got Seton Hall breaking that 20-year uh, road losing streak, but then Nova comes back and ruins Miles Powell's senior night, which ultimately led to a three-way share of the conference regular season title. But coming into this season, Nova's back to still being ranked number three in the country, while Seton Hall's trying to kind of prove that that 36-point loss at Creighton was just a particular off night. You know, is this game still viewed from the Nova end of the battle as a battle of two top Big East programs, or is Seton Hall still trying to earn that respect? Oh, God. You don't know anybody who respects Seton Hall more than Jay Wright, I swear. Adam Zagori asked him at the Zoom call Thursday, just talk about Seton Hall, will you please? And <laughs> Jay went on and on and on about, you know, how Kevin has, uh, you know, built himself another great team, even though they lost some really key pieces from last season's team. And then and, uh, talked about uh, Sandro Mamukalashvili, who is like probably, you know, 
I think he's the best player in the Big East. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I really do because he can do so many things. But the big thing Jay said was, yeah, he says, I've watched that tape from that game in, in uh, Newark uh, last year twice. And I can't believe we, we missed so many free throws in the last three minutes. I mean, they almost blew that game. You guys remember that. They couldn't make a free throw to save their lives. And they, there, there was a shot on the baseline to win. It was a little after right. the, the Miles the, Kale, yeah. Yeah, it was there. So, but, you know, so Jay, Seton Hall has Jay's undivided attention. I mean, so does DePaul for that matter. But in, in Seton Hall's case, Jay knows how Kevin operates. He knows how, um, how the guys just stick to the plan no matter what. And he's got some like incredible talent. I mean, Jared Roden, I mean, that guy is like amazing. He's, he's put up some really good numbers. I mean, I haven't looked at the whole scene hall roster. I've seen a couple of games, but uh, Roden is always impressive. Mamu's always impressive. Uh, Shavar Reynolds. I mean, the guy came from like walk-onville and now he is a key piece of that team. So, you know, the, the, the way they're work, they're, they're operating. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a big battle. I, you know, Seen Hall has more players at the moment. <laughs> they'll, they'll have more players on Tuesday night than Villanova will. But I, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm expecting a great game, and, and uh, we'll see how it goes. It's, uh, you know, and it's going to be the same way in the Prudential Center nine days after that. So, it's a great rivalry. I, I enjoy the game. I've had such a blast. <laughs> When, whenever I go to the Prudential Center, because the games are always late in the season, and it's just a great, it's a great time. I see all the New York guys, and we have a great time, and the games are ex- excellent. They end too late, but you know we try to make deadline if we can, and uh, it's uh, just always a treat. And uh, I know that uh, Tuesday night's game will be, um, you know, another good game. Although uh, Villanova being shorthanded, I, you know, I, I would think the Scene Hall would have the edge in that. You know, I'd be remiss, Joe, if I didn't bring up the fact that last year when we talked about the 26-year losing streak, you mentioned that you didn't remember too many of the games in Philadelphia. And after that game was completed, we said, I bet Joe Giuliano's going to remember this one. <laughs> oh, God. Well, the funny thing is, they lost their last three games at the Wells Fargo Center last year. They lost to Seton Hall, they lost to Creighton, and they lost to Providence. Like, you know, it just seemed like they get in there, and for whatever reason, the visitors are more excited to be playing in the NBA arena, and, and Villanova just was making these, like, silly mistakes. And let's face it, those are three great teams they, that beat them, but I was still. about to say that. Yeah, no shame in losing to those three teams oh, last of course year. That was, that was the top four in the standings, and Providence was probably the hottest team in the Big East, if you ask me. Yeah, absolutely. And that was after, you know, Villanova really took care of Providence up there, although they gave up a lead late and had to kind of fight at the end. But, you know, but yeah, Providence, Seton Hall and, and Creighton were, were, were the three best uh, opponents they could have played. And uh, they showed it. And, and, and the weird thing about it was Villanova won at all three games at their places and they came in and and trounced Nova at, at the at the Wells Fargo Center, and none of those games were, were in doubt. With two minutes, minute, half, two minutes to go, those games were pretty much over. So Mike mentioned earlier the 36-point loss that Seton Hall had to Creighton, and in that game, Kevin Willard began the game by matching up small and removing Ike Biagu from the starting five. You know, in the post game, he said that was completely on him and he won't be doing it again. Right. Well, here comes the Wildcats with another example of that new age team that plays five out. Do you think that Kevin Willard's ultimately going to be forced into matching up small again? Or do you think the size of the Pirates can create a competitive advantage? Well, I think I, I'm sure he'll start Obiagu and Mamu and, and those guys. You know, they're bigger, but no one's going to have to show that they can hit the three. They, it's been a while since they played competitively. And Seton Hall's perimeter defenders are great. You know, Miles Kale, 
Servar. I mean, those guys can really play defense on the perimeter. So if Nova has problems hitting the three, I mean, they might decide they want to drive more to the basket. I don't know. Um, uh, sometimes they are uh, kind of, if you're a fan, you're kind of frustrated to watch them because they'll settle like maybe of their first 25 shots in a game, 17 will be from three. And you're like, well, what are you doing? Like, you know, drive to the basket. Everybody knows you're going to try to shoot the three, but we're yeah, old, I think Joe, we're old Joe. That's the style of play nowadays. We got to just have to start accepting it. I know I, you, you talked about Jared Roden, man. He plays the mid range game. They're like, what is he doing? <laughs> yeah. But, but I'm, I'm sure I will play some, uh, some minutes early uh, inside and, and, and Kevin will adjust seeing what he thinks, you know, if he, if he might decide he wants to go five small, well, Mamu and four small guys. After that, and, and and see what happens. That's that's going to be worth watching. But like like Jay said Thursday, I have no idea what I'm going to see Tuesday night, and I don't think any of us do. So I mean, Nova could lose. Nova could lose by 36, or they oh. could win by one. You, you just don't know. We do know we're going to see some talented players on the court. We've already mentioned Colin Gillespie, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. You said you were enamored a little bit with Sandro Mamukelishvili and Jared Roden. Give me a matchup of all these superstars that you're intrigued to see go head-to-head and potentially have a, a big impact on the outcome. You know, the, that's going to be the problem with um, Jermaine Samuels not being uh, in the lineup. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a terrific defensive player. So I, I think he would draw Mamu in, in, in normal times. But if he does not play Tuesday, you know, that I don't put um, Jay will have to decide if he wants to put Robinson Earl on Mamu and maybe a smaller guy on, on Ike, thinking that, you know, Ike gets most of his points on offensive rebounds, not not on set offensive plays. At least that's what I've seen. And obviously he'll block shots inside, which means they will be firing from three. Yeah, I, I think those matchups of those two big guys are, are going to be really problematic for Villanova. I, I would think maybe uh, like a Brandon Slater might get the, the call on, on uh, Mamu and, uh, and Robin Sutterl would go to uh, Ike. And, and obviously when Mamu drives to the basket, you know, Jeremiah will come over and, and, you know, try to help out on him because he's, he's a fantastic driver of the basketball and uh, he can really put up some pretty incredible shots uh, with either hand uh, when he's driving to the hole like that. All right, Joe, outside of Villanova shooting well from three point range, which is a staple of what they do. Give me a couple other keys for a Nova victory come Tuesday night. Oh, wow. Um, well, staying out of foul trouble would be a, a help. Um, you know, they, they have they have really not fouled a lot uh, this season, but uh, the, the fatigue could be a, a real factor if they're only going to be playing seven. And, and Jay's not afraid to play seven. I mean, there were times during the championship season of uh, 2018, he's playing, he was playing six. That's, you know, but of course, that was an incredibly talented team as well. Man. I'll ask you, I'll ask you this. Seton Hall has okay. had some issues keeping teams off the offensive glass. Is, is that a strength of Villanova that they can exploit? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, Villanova rarely goes to the offensive boards because Jay is so concerned about um, transition defense. And, and if you look at the numbers through the, not only through the Big East part of the schedule, but the overall schedule, Villanova's defensive numbers are not great. I mean, like eighth in field goal percentage defense, ninth in field goal three-point percentage. They don't force a lot of turnovers, but they rarely turn it over themselves anyway. I mean, they got a 5.0 turnover margin, I think, in Big East games. But that's only, like I said, a small sample size, three three games. But yeah, keeping uh, Seton Hall off the offensive boards is going to be like a real, really of paramount importance. I mean, Mamu hit him hit him up two years ago for 10 offensive rebounds in one game. So that's that's something they're going to have to watch. And Ike, uh, Ike didn't really do much to them last year because they had Rogill and Rogill 
you know, was uh, was a force inside on the offensive boards too that they tried to neutralize. So um, yeah, that, that the, the rebounding battle is going to be really tough to uh, to deal with for them, and uh, also. Uh, Turnovers. I mean, Seen Hall is going to be a little more aggressive defensively because they have, I would think, better defensive players than uh, Villanova has played uh, since, uh, well, they played uh, Marquette, Butler, and uh, first game was Georgetown. So I, I will take Seen Hall's uh, guards and perimeter defenders over any of theirs. So that could be a, a, another issue for, for Villanova, uh, you know, taking care of the ball. Okay, Joe, we're going to put you on the spot. Are the fans in Philly going to be excited or does Seton Hall stretch their streak to a big two this year? I don't know. Game starts at nine o'clock. I think everybody will be in bed by the time that game ends. I'm just going to be having dinner, Joe. I don't know. I'm going to be excited about it. So say, including me, I might be in bed too. I, <laughs> I'm thinking I have not covered a game in person uh, all season. So I, I think that's going to be my first one. Yeah. I, I, it's a tough, I mean, seeing Hall's been playing, they're in a rhythm. I mean, I, I think they, 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 be, they would be favored to win that game given uh, Villanova's rust and um, the fact they're going to be shorthanded. I can see a Seton Hall victory. You know, there might be a little root for Villanova, but overall I think Seton Hall would have the advantage here. I don't like it, Tom, when the other uh, people come on and they pick Seton Hall to win. We don't do so well here. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Joe, we can't thank you enough for coming back to the show and joining us, man. We really appreciate your insights, and we wish you nothing but the best and health to you and your family going forward. Hey, thanks, Tom and Mike. I appreciate it. It was great being with you guys. And again, you guys stay safe and and your families as well. Uh, Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Joe Giuliano, everybody. Okay, Mike. That was Joe Giuliano with the Philadelphia Inquirer talking about the game, upcoming game with Nova and Seton Hall. But we have another game next week on the schedule, and it's going to be a return game against Butler. This time, we head out to historic Hinkle Fieldhouse to play the Bulldogs. Bulldogs have been 2-2 two and two since the last time we played them. They're going to play DePaul at Hinkle on Tuesday night themselves. But the main story right now, Mike, is Aaron Thompson is back, as you mentioned earlier. Since his return, he's put up 12.6 points per game, 4.4 assists, and he's been shooting a blistering 57% from the field. Hey, you know, Hinkle is going to be a tough place to play, Mike, as Creighton just found out, losing to the Bulldogs 70-66 to in overtime. Normally, we're going behind enemy lines, but we already, we already did that segment with Butler for the season. If you're and in that segment that we normally do, we're asking the beat writer who's the matchup that you think could turn the tide, you know, in either direction for the victory. And here, here's where I'm going to go for this one. You mentioned Aaron Thompson. I'm going to stay there. He is definitely the leader on the floor for them. They they have some other guys that can step up that has some talent. You know, we we mentioned Miles Tate as a freshman, kind of peaking. They have some talented guys in the front court in you know Bryce Golden and Bryce Enzi. They're not gonna they're not gonna light you up for twenty five, but you know they they can hold their own on a given night. But really, their leader of the ship, you know, the, the guy that makes their engine go, as, as as we always say, is Aaron Thompson. And I'm gonna put the responsibility for the key matchup head to head here on the shoulders of Shavar Reynolds. I need Shavar to make sure that he's staying on the floor for 35 minutes, not get into foul trouble, not try to outplay his opponent, just do what he does best, which is play that lockdown defense. If Shavar can limit what Butler can do offensively by slowing down Thompson and not letting them get comfortable on the offensive side of the ball, I think Sandro and Roden just dominate their front court again. I really do. They had a chance to run them out of the building. They kind of took their foot off the gas in the first matchup. I think they learned from that experience. But if Thompson 
gets going and lets that team build the confidence, yeah, I, I could be concerned that Seton Hall will be in a very similar dog match that Creighton just went through. Okay, Mike, I'm going to take the matchup a little bit differently. You know who I think is going to be the key matchup of this game? Kevin Willard and Laval Jordan, Mike. Look at what Butler wants to do. Regardless of how they're playing on offense, they have had a stingy defense. When we played them a couple games ago, our offense grinded to a halt and they played some muck it up game. Look at the Creighton game. They held Creighton to 66 points in 45 minutes of total basketball. I think Creighton had 66 a few minutes after the half against us, Mike. That's how potent Creighton's offense is. I don't care that Zegorowski wasn't there leading the ship. They still have got shooters all around. They could still fill up the hole. So I think we need that chiropractor to go into the offense and make a few adjustments and figure out how we're going to get points at Hinkle. Yeah, but, but all right. how are they pushing pace? We don't have point guards that push pace. We are not a strong defensive rebounding team where we grab an outlet. We, we talked about this. The only guy that kind of ignites the fast break for us consistently is Sandro. And we've even asked for him to play more under control lately and not go coast to coast off of those uh, transition rebounds because he's been getting a lot of offensive fouls as he gets down to the other side of the court. How are we pushing pace against this Butler team? Mike, that's what they pay Kevin Willard the big bucks for. Get in there and figure out how you're going to add some points. I'll tell you this. If Butler holds us to around 60 points in regulation, we're losing that game at Henkel. We're not winning that game. So you're going to have to figure out how to get better offense out of your guys when you're in there. But that's like asking me to drive my Camry like a Ferrari. You can't do it, Tom. You can only work with what you got. You are not giving us enough credit. You need to play better defense. You got to start forcing turnovers. We do better in a transition off of pushing and forcing those turnovers. We've got the horses to play good defense. Okay, but Butler is not the type of team with Thompson in the game who's going to just give you those turnovers. He's not going to give you those live ball turnovers. They're pretty fundamentally sound in the half court, the way they play their slow grinded out tempo. So, you know, if you told me, Hey, let's, let's turn DePaul over. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, but that's just not the MO of this team. I it's, it's going to be interesting to see if we can dictate tempo or, and pace because we are the more talented team, but I, you're, you're there's just something me- that, you're telling me Charlie Moore is not walking through those doors, huh, Mike? Oh, I, I, I can't believe I wish Charlie Moore was walking through those doors. Oh, man. Uh, well, it's just something that just feels a little off about this rematch. I don't know. It's in my it's in my gut. I just I don't know what it is. Okay, one final thought on it, Mike. As tough a place as Hinkle may be to play, the Pirates are 3-1 and one in their last four visits down there. So, hey, that's some positivity. I understand that teams change, especially in college, but... Maybe maybe the whole Hinkle aura is a little overdone. So we heard what Joe Giuliano thought about the Nova game. Give me your predictions for this week, Mike. What do the Pirates do? I think they have to get one and one. So that's where I'm going to go. I don't know where they get the one and one yet. One would think that it's going to come at the Butler matchup. But, uh, you know, I'm with you. I, you know, I think they might be catching Nova at the right time. I don't know how it shakes out officially, but I'm going to, I'm going to say they find a way to get one of these two. Here are my thoughts. I'm putting my blue tinted glasses on Mike. I say we're going 2-0 this week, Mike. 
We're going to go into Nova and we're going to catch them at the best possible time. These kids aren't going to be in game shape. We already heard Joe Giuliano say that Coach Wright was trying to get these guys one by one into the gym to get some conditioning exercises in for only half an hour. These guys are not going to be in game shape. These guys are going to be rusty from not playing real competition for almost a month. And they're also fighting the injury bug. This is a prime time to take game two in our streak in Philly. Also, I think we head out to Butler and we end up playing a lot better. I think we're going to get a lot more confidence after the Nova game. We're going to stop Thompson from doing what he wants to do. And we're going to take that game as well. Tom, if they go 2-0 this week, I'm going to go to my printer and I'm going to make sure I get you a copy of the Lenardi bracketology. I'm going to make sure I get you a copy of the uh, the Jerry Palm CBS bracketology. I want to make sure I get you a copy of the Mike DeCourcy Fox predictions because they'll have us at like a four seat at that point. And you <laughs> can frame 20, it. baby. Top and you can 20. frame it. You can hang it in your office. You could drool all over it because there's still another four more games to go in that tough stretch and it won't mean a thing, but hey, 2-0. And we haven't seen UConn yet this season. We still got Creighton, and we definitely still have that Nova rematch. So, yes, it's going to be we are in for a battle down the stretch, but that's what makes it so much fun. So, Mike, Joe Giuliano might be sleeping through that Nova Seton Hall game, but I'm going to have a plate of food in front of me. I'm at the kids at the dinner table, and we're going to be yelling, Go Pirates! Go Big Blue! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other of your favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at Pirates. We are also proud members of the What You Expect network of podcasts. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. Thank <laughs> you.